0: listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam.
1: Good morning, Matt. Whoa. Oh, good morning, Adam. I wanted to do today in a fake English accent. I thought it would bring a little bit of variety. Okay. Instead of saying aluminum, we'll say aluminum. Aluminium. Welcome to day 219 and 220. And if you're thinking of turning this episode off because you can't handle my fake English accent, I'll let you know right now. I'm not going to do it. I'll go back to normal. Thank you. You're welcome. Where are we today in today's oral transmission of the gospel? (laughs) Oral tradition is what I meant to say, but transmission is also a helpful thing. When driving something, and we're driving this whole story of God, into our hearts and minds, and starting to believe that just maybe his story intersects with our stories, or our story can intersect with his story of life. Where are we?
0: Our Old Testament reading for today is 1 Chronicles, chapter 24 through chapter 27.
1: The chronicler, sorry, and the chronicler is uh, now at the point of reminding everybody how great of a leader David was. He had his big failing that we listed about trusting in the armies and trusting in a census, but he made it through that. Mm -hmm. And the only way anybody makes it through anything is repentance and absolution. So David made it through another failure through repentance. Um, So that's great. And now he gets to operate in his full kingness, One of the reasons he is so great is because he's just a good king, and Mm -hmm. kings have to organize. Yes. Because anything organized is better than unorganized. (laughs) Yes. Right. As we've
0: discussed several times.
1: Several times.
0: Uh, Yeah, so we are in the uh, amazing part of Chronicles that usually if you're reading at this point, you're like, okay, okay, I get it. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But do you
1: really get it? Yeah. This is the point do where you, you really, you're really? you like, I just got to push through and say I've read the Bible. Where is the story? Where is a cool nugget? Because I can't really take with me to encourage me in the day that... The uh, first lot fell to Jehorarib yeah. and the second to Jedediah. Or but Nadab and Abihu died before their father and had no children. I don't know what to do with that in my everyday life. <laughs> Well, you should. It's about life and death. Yes. But uh, the overview of all this is really cool. David organizes everything, and he emphasizes and begins with the most important thing for his reign and rule and his nation, which Mm -hmm. is organizing the priests. Yes. And what I've discovered as we work through this, you'll see this number kind of come up again and again. Uh, The number 24, the number 12. It's really interesting, right? So he creates these priests for 24 work shifts.
0: Yeah, basically, he's got it all down to where each shift of group of, each group of priests is working like two to two and a half weeks a year.
1: Right, and and you think about like 24 hours in a day, Mm -hmm. like he's using just the natural things set up, the Mm -hmm. order that is set up by God. God is a God of order, Mm -hmm. and so he's using the numbers, 12 hours in a day, 12 tribes, 12 months a year, 24 hours, you know, and so... There's 24 kind of times, and then he lists the genealogy and to set up the legitimacy and function of the temple.
0: Yeah, yeah. of the priests, because you have... I think this is worth noting, because I kind of forget sometimes, but the two priestly lines, again, they're coming from Aaron, but they're mainly coming from Eleazar and Ithamar. Uh, and so basically, you're tracking your line to Eleazar or Ithamar... Um, and so now at David's time, we have Zadok, who's under the line of Eleazar, and we have, uh,
1: oh no, what is it, Ahimelech. Okay. So I kind of fall asleep as soon as you say those names. Yeah, I know. But we just have to imagine, like, okay, so it goes Bill Clinton to Al Gore, who loses to George Bush. Okay. And then, yeah, I mean, like, you just think of... But these are family lines. Family lines, well, yeah, and then George Bush... H and W and, um, but that's how the original audience is reading this. Like they are seriously aligned to a party, Mm -hmm. not a political party, but a family line. They just switch it out. Like Mm -hmm. I'm from that tribe. It's tribal lines. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I just think it's cool as we go through this. If you ever wonder about like church and how do we get like elders and deacons and, And ushers and musicians, why do we have any of that? And I, as a person, as a church planner, have tried to reimagine church in every which way but loose. (laughs) And so, what's cool is, even for someone like me, a wild horse like me, who wants to just reach the culture, and why do we do it this way? Mm -hmm. It is nice to go, oh, there is order, there is structure, God has set it up because the word of God is so important. It deserves and demands a structure. Like that's how we honor things. Is mm-hmm. that we we write things on calendars, we set things up, and so it really is. Like in each congregation, there's similarities to uh, organization and structure because we honor God's presence through His Word, His preaching, the sacraments, and so. And then you get to this whole chapter. Well, yeah. I do
0: want to just yeah interrupt, please say that um, in chapter twenty-four, verse nineteen. That is said, like everything mm-hmm. you just said is re as these had their appointed duty in their service to come into the house of the Lord according to the procedure established for them by Aaron, their father, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded him. So David is following the procedures set up by Aaron, set up by God.
1: So you start to, uh, if you're in the more contemporary group. mm mm-hmm you can have some patience and some kindness for those who are in the more liturgical or like we must do this in worship. Mm -hmm. You have to have some softness because many of us are like missionaries. We're we're trying to adapt things to our culture. But those of you who are very traditional, you know what? That's good Mm -hmm. because there are things that have been handed down by God um, and how we worship him. And so I think there's just got to be a lot of love. And then the people who are kind of steeped in the traditional have to understand, oh, you're missionary churches. You're kind of going out. Paul couldn't carry out temple worship Mm -hmm. in Greece, you know. And so um, but that's why we love each other. If you're a contemporary or if you're a uh, traditional, we work together for the good of the gospel but then chapter 25, can I go there? Yeah, like this is good. a whole chapter dedicated to the organization of musicians, mm-hmm. which is so interesting to me because I've often wondered, like, why does the guy at church who plays guitar or organ get paid and honored kind of like the pastor? He's just playing music because mm-hmm. I came from this kind of intellectual idea of, man, the gospel and theology is what matters. And it's so good for me and my personality, and ironically I'm a musician, but maybe that's just my own downplay myself. But you realize, man, God has ordained and set up positions for music is a part of worship. Music is how we Mm
0: -hmm. praise
1: God. It's actually how we teach. Like The musicians are considered prophets. Yeah,
0: I know. Because they
1: admonish, uh, and they give thanks, and they give praise, and they speak the word of God in their songs. Mm -hmm. And it leads people into that. Yeah, And so they are considered prophets, which is really cool. And again, you see it goes... The Musicians, the singers, there's 24 ensembles. Each ensemble has 12 people. Mm-hmm. There's 288 people in all. Like, this is an organized effort and, and something that's going to be important in the worship of God.
0: And I, I love how, the, so it's under three families uh, Asaph, uh, Jedithon, and mm-hmm. Heman. And Asaph, I love, like, there's just like different uh, categories that they fall under. Yeah. And so, like, Asaph is. Their family, his family, prophesied under the direction of the king. So you have David, who's a musician, who's right. uh, creating songs and things for them to use as a prophetic ministry to right. the people who come to the temple. Uh, you have Jedithan, who prophesied with the lyre in thanksgiving and praise to the Lord.
1: Is so, a lyre a type of guitar, right? It's like yeah, a harpish. It's like a harp. Small harp yeah.
0: And so they're using harps, stringed instruments, to lead people into praise and thanksgiving. And then you have Heman, who's the grandson of Samuel, uh, who is the king's seer. Yeah. And they're they're a family of seers, and and they uh, exalt God. And God promised to like even bless Heman, and so he gives him a huge family who continues to be a line of
1: what, seer. Musicians. What exactly is a
0: seer? Uh, someone who hears from the Lord.
1: Right, okay, good. Yeah. I just wanted to re-say that because sometimes I, I just say it, but yeah, it's a prophet, like Gad the seer hears mm-hmm. from the Lord and then yeah, tells, Yeah, I,
0: right? I, I'm starting to wonder if most seers had a musical ability.
1: I know, it is interesting, isn't it?
0: Because as we're reading all the other minor, pro- like as we just read through the minor prophets, they all were very poetic and a lot of their stuff uh, could be considered songs. And so... They're not sure, and so I'm starting to go. Maybe they all just have a poetic, musical
1: well, uh, gifting. And if you follow like the history of music, you even go back to um, slaves in America. They're singing their songs and re- of, of going to heaven, and their gospel songs. Mm-hmm. You know, like we pass down our philosophy, we pass down our beliefs, we pass down our yeah. hopes and our dreams it's through very song, because everybody can access that, and mm-hmm. it works you up. It's an emotional access point. Which then kind of begs the question, what is popular music handing down to um, American kids these days? Oh, will no, be on our next podcast. Yes. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. It's uh, all about party.
0: Moving to chapter 26, we get the Division of Gatekeepers. Now, the first, last year when we read through this yeah. thing, I was very interested in genealogies. and. The one genealogy that I was like, why are they always silent on this one? And I could never find it or track it, and I just assumed it was who? lost. Who? Moses'. Oh, yeah. I was like, no one cares about who's Moses, like, who is a descendant of Moses? Like, right. what happened to them? Well, I must have missed chapter 26 last time, because chapter 26 is about Moses's children.
1: I know. Well, it goes gatekeepers, and so they there's 68 guards around the ark, and like, just... Because um, you're you're saying Moses's line was uh, like treasurers, right?
0: Yeah. So it goes gatekeepers who are like again, think of these guys as warriors. I know. Because these are the sons of Levi who are murderers and and uh, they the
1: toughest guy. You yeah. think Levites are like the weak little no. priests getting out of the service? No, no, they're the tough guys. They're God are tough gets... guys.
0: And you know what? I it hit me today in a later chapter. Uh, Benaniah, one of the thirty. Mm-hmm. He's a
1: Levite. He's the snowy day with a yeah, lion, Yeah, he right? killed
0: the lion, man. Well,
1: that's what's so funny. He's like, the priests are actually the guys who could be the best warriors. Yes, but God, some of them are. But God, of course, says, no, I want the best warriors guarding my temple, guarding my yeah. throne. Yeah, God takes the best warriors, but we never think of that because they're priests, and we think of pastors as like pacifists. Yes. Weak dudes. Even though you and I regularly work out and <laughs> overcompensate for that by saying, no, we can be strong guys, too. Yes. But no, they really were, and so I just want to mention the gatekeepers and how that's organized and how the church and how where God is is worth protecting. We Mm -hmm. don't just let it get ransacked and let it be taken by the world uh, whenever they want it. Then you get to the real necessity of a financial team, right? So Mm -hmm. you have the financial situation where... um, So the temple's kind of taken care of now. All the money coming in...
0: Yeah, so the money for the temple, like all the money dedicated to the temple.
1: all the treasures and all the things that are being given above and beyond even tithes. Oh,
0: speaking of like military connections and the Levites being, I just, going back real quick to 25, David and his, the chief, the chiefs of the service, which is his commanders, they also had a say in who the musicians were Mm because musicians were at the front lines working everyone up into... So like uh, when we military see, military frenzy,
1: when we see old civil war stuff with the guy drumming, mm-hmm. yeah. okay. And so they're, there getting, reminding everybody, this is worship. This yes. is protecting God and yes. his people. Sorry. and God is with us. No, I love that connection yeah. because we don't think of it that way. No. Um, we think it's just silly. Like, Oh, yeah. people are stupid. Now we don't take music into, I mean, except for old Vietnam movies, they always have like the sixties music playing as yeah. the chopper goes down. It's pretty sad.
0: Uh, so I, I do say that because in the treasurer thing, the people who are listed as dedicating money mm-hmm. to the temple are all the military commanders.
1: They understand their victory comes from the Lord. Yes. And we are set apart to serve the Lord. Yes. And so if it means with the sword, of course we use the sword. Yeah.
0: Very interesting.
1: Well, you get the treasury, you get the financial, everything is in its right place. I, I just love that by the end of twenty six. David has left everything in complete order mm-hmm. for his son, which does not happen when you get when you read the Book of Kings. You get the sense that everything is always it's like the king has been overthrown in a coup, everything's in disarray, and the next guy gets to inherit mm-hmm. that. Whereas Solomon, the son of rest,
0: yeah, walks into a beautifully organized machine, system.
1: yeah, where it's like okay, you have your leaders, and even uh, we'll get into chapter twenty-seven. He finally. Gets the military divisions, mm-hmm. which are twelve divisions. Each division has twenty four thousand men. There's a tribal like leader over each division. Mm-hmm. They, and uh, it's for twelve months. Every month of the year, a new division comes in and protects.
0: Yeah, the temple. Th- there's only one unit of active military presence a month.
1: This is the original reserve system. Yeah, so it's like great. you always have one of the tribes' armies of twenty four thousand. In I, I I felt like they were in the capital city at David's beck and call yeah and they serve for a month and then they go home and so you go, you serve once a year yeah for a month and then when there's battle and there's war then you organize and you all go out from where you are mm-hmm. which makes sense because you have like this reserve set up in each of the um, the allotted tribal areas yeah. each tribe has their twenty four thousand ready to fight
0: mm-hmm.
1: which reminded me too of um, that organization doesn't come from nowhere; it comes from God, yes. and that God speaks. Jesus speaks of angels being organized yeah. like this in legions, mm-hmm. and and um, so. And then at the very end of this section, you got his. Basically, you have his cabinet, right? His advisors, and I was saying to you earlier that in verse thirty-three, the position I want and feel most equipped for <laughs> is uh, the king's friend. That he had just someone like, this is the king's friend. And so that's like wisdom. It's I feel like it's kind of how we work. Like, am I crazy for thinking this? Mm-hmm. I can be honest. I can mm-hmm. say stupid things, but you know what I mean. Yes. Um, you're not holding everything I say and do literally. You understand the philosophy behind it and what I'm working out. And so like even down to the friend's king
0: mm-hmm.
1: or the king's friend.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I just thought it was brilliant that David adapts the old tribal system for a united Israel under kind of a central authority. Mm -hmm. And and then if you extrapolate that to us, I feel like God gives us wisdom, like in whatever calling you have, to be a husband, to be a wife, to be a mom, to be an employee. I feel like there's an organization to it where he surrounds us with the wisdom of family and counselors or whatever. But ultimately, we try to line it up with the word of God for us.
0: Oh, I did want to yeah. point one other thing out, and I think it's a, a cool note, is in the end of 26, um, he sends out a bunch of Levites to be uh, uh, officers and judges over the land, uh-huh. and they each go to uh, tribal allotments and reign there. And so it's cool to think of, again, he's using the Levite, the priestly system, to go out and administer the word of God throughout the entire land yeah. and it's all being held together by yeah. the word of God. It's kind of like
1: our police agency or something. You know, like mm-hmm. it's not just one central place and then you wait to hear. It's it's set up all over the place. Yeah. And I think that even goes back to the wisdom of Jethro to Moses. Like you yeah. can't do this alone. You need 70 elders and that's mm-hmm. traditionally the 70 elders who would help judge yeah. and disperse the responsibility of justice and equity and mm-hmm. love and mercy. It's cool, man. So that ends. Uh, that's good for Chronicles today. You yep. had no idea that in Chronicles twenty-four through twenty-seven, there's so much good stuff. I didn't either until I started talking to you. Yeah. But but really, I think the uh, I think starting off with the English accent has helped me understand all this better. Yeah. Probably. All right. Let's go to our New Testament today. Another uh, book that looks similar. In spelling, phonetically, it's very confusing. <laughs> we go from First Chronicles to First Corinthians. Where are we?
0: Our New Testament reading for today is First Corinthians chapter 3 through chapter 4. It's very rare that we get two
1: full chapters of a New Testament. I know, it just lined up nicely. I'm so thankful for that. Usually, you know, it's 3, 12 yeah. to 4, 2. Yeah. Um, Paul, where has Paul been? Just remind me real quick. Where where did Paul just come from in chapter 2? So, chapter 2, Paul again is trying to
0: remind everyone. He's trying to reunite everyone around mm. the mind of Christ. That's right. And saying, look, you all have the Spirit of God, which means you all have access to the mind of Christ, and you're united together that way. And there's a difference between those who are thinking in the flesh like the natural man who can't comprehend spiritual things and those who are working with the spirit who have access to God's mind through the spirit and can discern spiritual
1: things. Right, because Chloe's people busted them and said, "Paul, the place where you stayed for months and months or a year or whatever, uh, a year and a half. A year and a half, they're all divided following Apollos, following Cephas, following you." Fol- mm-hmm. He's like, "What?" And so that's what this you have to remember the first letter to the Corinthians is dealing with that disunity. Yes. And ha- that disunity totally betrays the message of the gospel, yes. which is unity in Christ. So in chapter three, there's like a famous, I don't know if it's quoted correctly, but I've heard people in my time, my 20 years of ministry or whatever, Same. where people are like, uh, I feel like this church, they're just giving me milk and I need meat. And that's, Paul is actually not using this as a means or a method to judge a church at all. You know what I mean? I mean, he's
0: actually, this whole chapter is against that.
1: Yeah, he's actually proving how it's silly to ever accuse a church of like, they just give me milk and I need meat. So if you have that, you're part of the problem. If you're thinking that, that's the problem.
0: Can I ask, what is the milk? What does he mean by milk? Well,
1: by milk, he's saying uh, milk is the message, the simple message of which Paul was completely committed to, which is Christ crucified there you go. and resurrected. Oh. Christ's crucifixion and resurrection is the simple milk, but we think of it as a bad thing, mm-hmm. but Paul is saying you aren't ready for the meat because you're children, mm-hmm. and it's not a sin to be a child. No. It's not a sin. In fact, it takes time, spiritual growth and physical growth, are the same and mm-hmm. physical growth. You can't expect a child to go from age two to be a 15 year old in one week because they went to an awesome seminar and had mm-hmm. the best speaker in the world speak to them. And all of a sudden your two year old is a 15 year old. Mm-hmm. It takes it takes 13 years to become a 15 year old. I
0: was just thinking about: is there an actual emotional difference between a two year old and a 15 year old? Well,
1: you regress <laughs> through <laughs> middle school. There's an obvious regression back to about five, and then yeah, you finally catch up to 15 years old probably when you're 18. Yeah, and then yeah, but but Paul is saying, look, it takes time to grow spiritually, mm-hmm. and like children i have to tell you guys stop fighting in the backseat of the car we're yes. all going to wally world we're all going to disney world but if you keep fighting we're going to miss out on the joy of this trip
0: i do think he's having to call them out and recognize like yeah i mean to be honest i was hoping you were a little further along right. but you're not and so i'm gonna have to deal with you this way and I'm so i have to discipline you as children
1: And just like as a father to a child, like you're acting in the flesh right now, Mm -hmm. accusing your sister or accusing your brother or thinking that you're better or worse or, and he's like, you're acting in the flesh and you're still in the flesh. And here's how I know, because there's jealousy and strife, which is a sign of being immature. Yes. And uh, even for children, I mean, adults hide it much better, Mm -hmm. but if you're jealous of somebody and there's strife among you, that is a immaturity thing in you. Yeah. And that's, and that's okay. You got to grow up. You just got to grow up. But growing up takes time. And so then he gets into the actual uh, event, right? Getting back into the idea of what he originally addressed them about, which
0: is... Uh, Apollos. He, yeah, who's who do you follow? And he's going, look, don't you know that Apollos and I are just humans? Yeah. And I love it, too, because I think also the way this has been presented to me was that Paul didn't like Apollos?
1: Yeah, it's always like he was, he was against him. Against but when you read it, it's he's like...
0: like no, 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 he actually loves him Like, he's fine. He sees him as another worker.
1: Well, he quite literally says, I planted and Apollos watered, Weird. and we both understand that God gave the growth. Yes, It's not who plants or who waters is it, anything, but God, only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, mm-hmm. and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. So he's building up to to his big line about the temple. But yeah, don't be confused. Paul is not against Apollos. He's just saying the fact that you're going, I'm of Apollos, and Apollos is better. And and here's what's really happening. Paul is kind of a difficult character, Mm -hmm. and his message is so simple. Mm -hmm. Apollos was telling us more. And so I'm moved on from Apollos. Oh, you're still on Paul? Yeah. we used to go there now we go to Apollos yes. oh I heard Cephas is, oh I'm of Cephas you know he was an original apostle Yeah. Um, oh I go to this mega church I go to this small church where mm-hmm. we know everybody and it's the divisions but it's even worse it's within the family it's, it's brother and sister going mom likes me better mm-hmm. and dad told me that I'm his favorite right. and Paul's going shut up everyone shut up we're all <laughs> built on Christ you know and it's almost like a dad like yeah. shut up shut up and pull pulling over the car <laughs> We are in Christ, and we are built on Christ's foundation, Mm -hmm. and that's it. And then he gives a, I think, it it, it used to scare me, this section, where he goes, um, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it, and then, uh, and we all, like, all of us are building on a foundation of those who went ahead of us. Yeah. But he says, some, uh, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, straw. I mean, he's kind of... Describing a building, I used to think, "Oh no, a church can build, and there's bad churches that are building out of hay and stubble, like health, wealth, and prosperity, or they're not dealing with sin, and they're going to burn when it gets judged." Yeah, and that's not what Paul is saying. No. He's saying some people build the walls, some people build the the roof made of straw.
0: Yeah, yeah, they had straw roofs, and it might burn,
1: and it might some of it might stand the test, the yeah. judgment, which is a purify purification process, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter.
0: As long as yes. it's all built on the
1: foundation of Christ. He says, what's the only thing that won't burn? The foundation. Mm-hmm. Because the foundation is Christ. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing here. And so if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Yeah. And so that used to be presented to me as a bad thing. Like you've been a bad Christian, a backsliding Christian, and you're only saved as um, by fire. Like you barely made it. That's how mm-hmm. I remember... Right. People I love told me that. And now I'm realizing Paul is not saying that because that's insinuating there are people better than others. And he's trying to say, you're not better. There's no room for boasting. Mm-hmm. You're all saved because of the foundation of Christ. Please come back to the milk.
0: So if anyone... Yes. Yeah, he's basically saying,
1: come back to the milk,
0: guys, you haven't, because you haven't moved on from that because yet. Because
1: babies need milk. And yeah. it's not a bad thing to have yeah. milk. You need milk to grow. You can't eat steak when you have no teeth.
0: Yes. And again, he's... He's saying, look, even if all your work in Christ burns down, as long as the foundation was Christ, it
1: doesn't matter. That's all you have anyway. That's all we
0: have anyways, so who cares? And
1: and here's why he says God doesn't care. Yes. Because I'm not looking at the temple you're building. Right. You are the temple. Mm -hmm. That's why it's so profound. He's like, each of you is the dwelling place of God now. Mm -hmm. Now look at Corinth. There's 12 major temples in downtown where everybody's eating and partying yes. and having temple prostitution, and they're uh, they're offering up their children as sacrifice, all sorts of horrible things. Our God doesn't need to build a temple like that anymore. Mm-hmm. He's done that to establish Christ, and now Christ has established you as the temple of God, and it's built on the foundation of Christ. You need to trust and rely on that, and when you do, guess what? Totally disappears, boasting mm-hmm. and divisions, because you realize... I am saved by grace through faith. Right. Even my faith is a gift of God. Oh, God, thank you. Have mercy on me. You have had mercy on me in Jesus Christ.
0: Yes. And then he moves into uh, chapter four uh, with this idea of, because he's building up upon yeah. the idea of boasting yes, and judging, like, who, who, right? who's better and who's weaker and who clearly has grown and who hasn't. And, who has the mysteries and who doesn't, and and so he's like yeah. just like had it, and so in chapter four, there's a very sarcastic tone throughout this chapter because he's like, and you just, I'm up to
1: here. You just made me realize too, um, part of temple worship is you you go and the temple, not God's temple. Yeah, I'm talking pagan about temple. The pagan temple is that there is an oracle. Mm-hmm. There are people who have the mysteries, and the mysteries are almost always future. Mm-hmm. A future blessing. like mm-hmm. So you go and consult, are my crops going to grow this year? And I need good luck. and I do that? Yes. And so Paul's use of the word of mystery is the opposite of the term used in popular culture, is that you no longer are con- um, going to the oracles for some mystery future. We're telling you fact, pa- the past, which is Christ died for you. It's no longer a mystery. It's for Jews and Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And so he's like... and. All I am and all Apollos is and all Cephas is, is stewards of the mystery of God. We're stewards. That means we, okay, so like if I'm your steward, you're the king, and um, mm-hmm. I'm paid to handle your money or, yeah, handle, yeah. Okay. or handle, let's say, let's even make it even more simple. I'm like your food taster and I, I, I'm i your waiter. Yeah. I'm your steward. And so as I steward you and I, I fill up your glasses with wine and everything, all I care about is what you think. Yeah. And all you care about is how I'm doing. That's Mm -hmm. it. And so Paul uses this idea of stewards of the mystery of the gospel to say, and he even says, I don't judge myself. I can't be judged by anybody because I work for God. Mm -hmm. So God is the, the king. He is the steward. So if someone says, I don't like your waiter here. Your steward is not serving it right. You would say, he's my steward.
0: You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah,
1: you don't know what you're talking about. It's not your place to criticize or judge the guy I pay to pour the wine. Yeah. And that's what Paul's saying here. So that's why we don't judge anybody because we're the temple of God. Mm -hmm. We are the dwelling place of God. Now we are set apart to work and steward God's things. Mm -hmm. So what we care about is, is God judging me? Mm -hmm. And by the way, you have no authority to judge God's stewards. Yes. They're not your stewards. And so um, that's this whole thing about judgment. I like that because it opens up like my need to judge other people and other ministries is totally an immature thing, mm-hmm. which is a lot like a kid, right? Like my kids accuse and adjudge my other kids as if they have any authority, but then um, as if I'm gonna go with them and go, yeah, I can't stand my son.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I can't stand my daughter. It's like you know, when you attack your sister, you're attacking my beloved daughter. Right. So, think of another way to come at her. <laughs> um, and so then he applies all this to himself. But his whole point is, don't be puffed up. Yeah. I mean, everything you have has been a gift. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then he gets sarcastic. You're right. He's like, oh, you've become rich? And this is where he goes, it's kind of a famous idea about um, the state of the apostles. Right. So he, he gets sarcastic. Like, oh, you guys are rich, and you guys have power mm-hmm. in your culture. And look at the apostles. Uh, at the apostles. Yeah. We're beaten. We're poor. And he says, we become the scum of the world. What is scum, Matt? Uh,
0: The idea is when, in this culture, when they would have, after heavy manual labor and they're all sweaty and dirty, they would apply sand to their skin, get wooden scrapers, and scrape the dead skin off with the sand. And that's how they would bathe or clean themselves. And the scum is the dead skin and the dirt and the filth that gets thrown off into the street.
1: It exfoliates. I've mm-hmm. actually watched Survivor and mm-hmm. seen people doing that while sitting at the ocean after a couple of weeks of no showers. Yeah. So Paul is saying, look, we're nothing. Yeah. Because we serve the Lord. And he goes, and then finally he's, he comes back to his father analogy and he says, I don't write these things. Or he comes back to the milk and meat and yeah. spiritual um, need for spiritual growth. I don't I don't want to make you guys ashamed, but I admonish you as my beloved children. Mm-hmm. So I mean, his heart is known here. He's saying you're my kids. And I have to often say hard things to my actual kids. Like, yeah. hey, you need to learn to do this, this and that. It's not cool. You're not going to you're going to lose opportunities. And so, if you understand that, you, it opens up what Paul's saying here. Though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Which is what I say to my kids. You know, you you have a lot of teachers. You have a lot of people Mm -hmm. that come in and out of your life, but you only have me as your father. Which means I'm going to be here for you forever. Right. And Paul is saying, I am here for you as long as I live, and I became your father in Christ. How through the gospel. Right. So I urge you to be imitators of me, like you act like your dad. Again, like uh, reading this, growing up, I need to act like Paul, and I need to suffer, and I need to go out into the. The marketplace and preach the gospel. It's like, no, I am no Paul. Yeah. Also, Paul
0: is not your father. Right. <laughs> Paul. Paul Paul is, is not a, your father. is the spiritual father. He's saying. To the Corinthians. To the, this Corinthian church that he's writing to. Because he's like, I am committed to you guys. Right. Which
1: begs the at question. At a very
0: specific time.
1: Who are your spiritual fathers? Right. And start looking at them as fathers. They've committed to, to you forever. Mm-hmm. Um. And then he lists one, who's been a good child and grown up, and he has someone Timothy. Yeah, he's like, I'm sent Timothy to you, and to remind you of my ways in Christ. So like, mm-hmm. as a child father relationship, like my son acts like me. Mm-hmm. You can tell he's my son because he acts like me. Um, it's pretty funny. But uh, this is where he ends up. He says, uh, Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon. If the Lord wills, I will find out. Um, not that. and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people but their power mm-hmm. which and then he ends with saying do I have to come to you what do you want do you want me to come with you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness this out of context Paul sounds like a mean guy right mm-hmm. harsh but in context he's a father do I have to do I have to come into that room with the paddle yeah or are you guys going to figure it out and so I can come in there with hugs yeah. I'm so proud of you that you worked out yeah. And the kids are like, okay, okay, okay just let's share the donut, yeah. okay? Oh, and then I can come in and go, you guys figured it out. Kay. So glad. Or I come in there with the paddle. Right. No one ever gets a donut again. Mm-hmm. And that's what Paul is saying here. And he's like, look, I know you guys are arrogant, but the word of God is powerful. Right. I just, this whole thing. So spiritual milk and spiritual meat is about spiritual maturity. And to grow up, you need fathers. Mm-hmm. And Paul's saying... As a father, I'm admonishing you, and I feel like as pastors we have the opportunity to be fathers, and that's why historically you'd call the pastor father, you know, like in the Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah. Father, forgive me, because that's his role, especially in communities. Not it's harder in America where everyone's so transient, but you allow a spiritual person to be your father, they can bring you the law and the gospel. Mm-hmm. But the law is to set you free, you know. The law. There are times when it's like you got to stop complaining you got to stop being a, a negative person you got to stop this division because I love you and uh, and this is how you grow there's things better than breast milk by the time you're f- at least five or six you'll discover you might like goldfish or things like that and not just breast milk <laughs> mm-hmm. all right
0: today I'm reading psalm 92 a song for the Sabbath ooh It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute, the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. A stupid man cannot know, a fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass, and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, the enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me like fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him.
1: Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll talk to you next time. Cheers.